Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. So we wanted to talk to fellow food lovers and record their stories. We're having conversations with everyone from home cooks to food producers and restaurateurs. So why not join us as we explore food in all its glory? Welcome to At The Source. We're at the Abergavenny Food Festival, and when we asked if today's guest would speak with us, we were 99% sure she would say no. To our surprise, she said yes. First we were excited, and then the enormity dawned on us, and that excitement turned into terror. Our guest today is one you'll know well. She's been a judge on MasterChef UK, hosts The Untold on BBC Radio 4, and is the restaurant critic for The Guardian. If you haven't guessed by now, we're talking to the esteemed Grace Dent. Welcome, Grace. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. So our first question, we'd like to have a little warm-up question, and that is, what is your first memory of food? My very first memory of food is when, uh, when I was a tiny little girl, my dad was still in the army, and we, was, we were based in Aldershot, on the army base. And he used to walk me to the army shop, which is called the Naffy, and, uh, we, and he used to buy me um, chocolate, milk chocolate, Cadbury's buttons. Now, if you do, they still make them. I mean, are they? Do they Probably don't taste the same. And they seemed enormous when you got them out of the of the bag. And I I say that for for so many people across Britain, that purple Cadbury's colour kind of means love to mm. them. And it, it, it you know this is the power of brands and advertising. And I branch off a lot into this when I talk about processed foods and how you stop people eating processed foods because how do you stop people, how do you stop me feeling that a lovely bar of Cadbury's fruit and nut isn't a delicious thing when, that, when I think about my dad yeah. every, ta- every time. So, yeah, that's my... Um, I always feel like I let people down with my first food memories because the, the thing that you always hear when you put on um, a Saturday kitchen or something is someone saying, my earliest food memory was when... I used to go to Tuscany with my family and uh, we used to have the freshest seafood and uh, I didn't have that experience. We didn't go to Tuscany. but uh, So I always think that my early food memories are like a lovely bag of frazzles. Oh, you know frazzles? I They've been frazzles. making them since the 70s, you know. Mm. Like frazzles or getting... getting Space Raiders. Oh, all those, like the, 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 with crisps. Things that are just... Like, you know, you go to a, a corner shop and it's like a 10 pence packet of, you know, pickled onion spooky starships. They are something, I mean, that's just a made up thing, but it sounds delicious, doesn't it? <laughs> it's one of those things that... I feel like we didn't have a lot of that in Australia and I'm actually uh, sort of disappointed because every time people talk about it, they talk about it like you are now. There's yeah, so much so love. So much love, yeah. And so much like, you know, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it and listening to you talk about these things because obviously those memories are so important to you. Is so there no the... Cadbury's in, in Australia? There is most definitely Cadbury. Is it a different type of Cadbury? It tastes slightly different, but mm. we don't, you know, we have a lot of the same chocolate bars now but you know we don't have things like a double decker and actually i know what people say but i really like double deckers double deckers are absolutely delicious so is a lion bar oh lion bars mm. that, that's one of my child food memories from when i used to visit my grandparents in france because again mm. we didn't have those in australia yeah. so in i feel fact, like i'm sitting on the fence here because i'm a crunchy girl Cr- sorry i think you have to be in the mood for a crunchy <laughs> i'm always in the mood for a crunchy <laughs> or a bag of crisps so we've probably wandered off from topic. Um, I'm going to bring it back with um, something that I'd be quite interested to know is what is the most unusual thing you've eaten in the name of journalism? For some context, see... Alex has licked Annette's bum. Oh. So. Lemony. 
Was it lemony? It was a specific type of ant that you can lick the bum of. It wasn't just, you know, one in the garden. It wasn't, you, what, this, it, wasn't just, it wasn't on the way home from a pub one night for a bet. The kebab shop was shut so like, come on, that'll do. I'm trying to think, right, the most unusual things that I've... I mean, I get unusual things all the time because everybody wants to... Every, every chef wants to show off. So I've never been very impressed or excited by that kind of come down and eat the you know the, the kind of obs- the most obscure mm. offal you know and I think that's quite that's quite a manly butch thing men love to go that you know that they've eaten some kind of nubbin of, of an animal that no one <laughs> that no one's ever and like and also people always insist oh and that's the most delicious part I think not mm. um I was last about two weeks ago I was in Manchester and I went to a, a restaurant called Tast. Uh, which was doing very modern uh, Catalonian molecular gastronomy. Not often you get to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the chef had made foie gras dipped in uh, white chocolate and dusted with uh, like a a kind of a very, uh, kind of quite a synthetic raspberry dust. I read this. This was the donut. Yes. Yes. And it was meant to be a donut, but it wasn't. It felt more like, uh, as I said, a satanic quality street. (laughs) Because, uh, and like, you know, I widely documented I love animals and I try to eat as little meat as I can and not a lot of dairy products and and everything so when I'm faced with foie gras I find it a little bit difficult anyway Mm -hmm. and then foie gras dipped in chocolate I just think that with foie gras for the amount of fuss that, you know that we take to torture the goose it could taste a bit better mm. you know like the <laughs> the end <laughs> the end product could be a bit more delicious because it to me it's always a bit um it just always feels a bit kind of fungusy and snotty and but I think people really, love it it's love really it. sweet and yeah. I always feel really disappointed yeah it's but on MasterChef you you people just think that if you just bung foie gras anywhere anywhere truffle. truffle foie gras mm. and that you'll kind of go oh what a treat! But then I, th- I think that they're they're up against it with restaurant critics because we are up to the ears in foie gras and and uh, and I kind of avoid it. Like I don't want foie gras oh, foie gras three ways. <laughs> no, uh, sometimes one way is too many ways. Yeah. Um, for you, I, you know, when you look at advertisers, they probably look at advertising and go, "I'm not even swayed by this remotely so is it the same for you when you go somewhere and, you th- and they think oh if we if we pull out all the stops they're going to be so impressed is it for you you're just so used to it that now anything special is they really have to do a really amazing job for um, it to even register on the radar yes and no i think that if people think that when i um when I go to a restaurant, if you send out extra food, for example, if they think that that impresses me, it doesn't, mm. because I'm up to here with food, so I don't need any extra courses. Um, I think that there's a there's a swathe of restaurants that are coming through at the moment, especially in London, which are very much for like the the, the 0.1 percent, where they'll be they'll go come to my restaurant. It has a car lift just in case you want to bring your car in. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I've failed my drive, driving test seven times. I'm not driving anywhere. I'm taking a taxi in there. But, and I, I think that these things, in the words of Shania Twain, they don't impress me much. Oh, I, I am more, I'm more impressed having a restaurant and making a restaurant sing and feel like a lovely, warm place 
is quite a complex thing and there's about five things going at once you know you've got your front of house and you've got you know have you got the radiators on is the temperature nice uh, did people smile when you walk in mm. is the menu does the menu look delicious uh, is uh, did everyone turn up in the kitchen brigade you know is the art on the wall is the music you know and all those things they need to sing at once and that's actually very difficult if you see all the restaurants that crash and burn mm. that's really difficult so it's that that impresses me you know and I, I always say that you kind of people say, well, how do you know that? You, how do you know that you feel like that? How do you know that somewhere's great? And I will tell you how going forward in your life, when you go to a restaurant you have never been before, and you go in and you sit down and you get a menu and they offer you a drink and your friends are all chatting and or you're, whoever you're having lunch with, if you find yourself subconsciously looking around the room and planning another table already that you would bring your friends back with, you know, you start go. That's a lovely big table over there. My my, my gran would love this place. But she could, you know, mm. the minute you start subconsciously planning, who else? Then you know it's great. There's something that means everything is singing at once. You start going, oh god! If my friends all come down for that hen weekend, we should come here. Whereas some places you walk into and you just think, oh god, head down. Let's get through this. And they can often be the, the greatest, most expensive places in the world. And I think that's probably quite rare. To, to get all of that yes. come together. And the one place that I would say most recently has done that for me is Pasta Ripiena in Bristol. Okay. Which is... Um, Great tip, writing it down. Yeah, pasta, Pasta Ripiena. It's quite a new place. It's owned by... R-E-P. R-I-P. Now you're on the spot. Same guys who have Pasta Loco in Bristol. Okay. And that just the focus is on the food. It's fantastic. And the focus is on the service. And it's not... They're not trying to turn it into this... You know, oh, let's try and pull out all the stops and impress mm. people. They're impressing you with the food and yes. with the smile, as they say. So smiley. Would you they like love this? What or... they're doing, mm. and I think that's evident when you yeah. when you go there. And and you know, pasta. It, you know, obviously, there's a lot of love that's going in into what they're doing. It's also quite a simple thing, so there's nowhere to hide there. Mm-hmm. They just. You know, and this, I lo- I love this kind of resurgence in like in, in great pasta. We've got some great places in London as well where you know they're they're knocking out amazing bowls of pasta for whatever eight was eight is it eight nine is, is I don't know what the Bristol prices are like. Yeah. London but prices now. London I think. prices <laughs> exactly. London prices. But you know, in the, some of the places in London that I go to, there's just a queue down the block, and like mm. you know, for this amazing pasta, and I love that. And it's because again, people they they like that they're being treated promptly with respect, and then they're getting a bowl of something really delicious. And it's not, you know, it's it could just be pasta with basically pepper and a, a creamy sauce, but it's amazing, and I love that. That so, excites me. On that note, you mentioned um, lots of places in London yeah. uh, Alex and I were talking that it's quite refreshing that quite a few of the reviews that you put up aren't in London they're in Manchester yeah. they're in Birmingham how do you uh, I think a lot of people probably want to know what's the process for choosing where yeah. you're going to go is someone sending you or do you go I keep reading about this place or someone sent me a media release what's the process um, okay well for, first of all I'm going to say something that blows people's minds when I say this it's actually 50% outside London it goes London, outside London, London, outside London, and I've only done uh, I've only uh, done half a year at the Guardian. So, but I have been fifty uh, percent outside London. Um, actually, somebody um, because Guardian readers are amazing. I think somebody counted every single one and did a percentage, and I think it was like <laughs> slightly more in London. Um, it was very important to me when I took the job at the Guardian that I went all mm. over Britain. 
I thought, if I'm going to give my life to this, which I kind of was by signing up for this column, um, you know, because you are always on and you're always on the move, I thought, I want to get out of this that I spend this period of my life rediscovering all of the bits of Britain that I probably started to not look at when I got sucked into London and I lived there, you know, I've lived there 20 years. I am northern. I'm from up near the border, near Scotland, Carlisle. Um, I spent a lot of my childhood up in Scotland. Um, we used to come down on holiday in Wales. I, I'm no stranger to real. I don't know if you've ever been to this. There used to be a sun centre here. Is that still here? I don't I know. I haven't been to real. Yeah. Um, I'm no stranger to real and land and, and you know, and, and uh, my family is Scousers. Um, so I wanted to go back out and rediscover this and, um, and really make people aware of that. How do I choose? I could begin talking about how I choose now and still be going in about three hours' time. And, and it's so... To try and distill it, one, there is... Uh, there's, you get a real feel for where somewhere, when, when somewhere's going to be good. Um, you, you hear where chefs are moving to. You might hear um, an amazing chef uh, at some place has got somebody who's waiting in the wings who's actually been covering for them loads, and you hear all these amazing things. And then they kind of shoot off and open somewhere else, and that goes on your radar. There's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are on Twitter. You hear people, you can hear people talking from the heart about mm-hmm. this amazing place in Bristol, this amazing place in Scotland. But I'm not as much interested in chains, although I, I, I love, I, I, you know, I take my family to chains. I'm not, you know, I think anybody that doesn't like a Pizza Express pizza, there's something wrong going on there. Do you know you what I mean? Read the article. Everyone, yeah. who, anyone who doesn't like sandwiches from Pratt. Exactly. Anyone yeah. who doesn't, anyone who doesn't like a, an enormous glass of their Montepulciano in a in a, in a warm glass because it's just come <laughs> out of the washing machine. Um, you know, it's I, there's joy in chains. But I was reviewing. I take the chains out. I take the um, often, if it's somebody's second or third uh, restaurant, I might not do that. And then when you, you know, because I've I've already given them a lot of love. Once you start to take all of those out of the mix, you end up with a very small amount of places. And then me and Jay fight. Ah. <laughs> me and Jay were in a fight. So Jay and I uh, divvy them up. Oh, okay. Um, and it is it's a case of uh, we don't do it face to face because I think it would probably become quite punchy quite quickly um, so we, uh, we we do it through a broker <laughs> uh, one of our one of our colleagues and uh, so we we're continuously uh, ear to the ground working out what's going on and then I and then I'm, I'm going the minute that I hear so-and-so is open a new restaurant I get in touch with the guy that works out and goes I want this. I want the new Tom Kerridge opening. And then, and then Jay will come back and go, I want Tom Kerridge. And I'll say, but you had, you had the new whatever, you know, you, you've got the new, I'm trying to think of some examples that are coming through now. And it, and, and, and it gets even more cutthroat when it gets to say the new opening in Scotland or the new opening in Bristol. And then obviously we have to kind of then try and tie it around our actual life yeah. because Jay will be out on tour because he, um, he does a book, the book tours and performances and he plays jazz. So then he might have his eye on somewhere that's really near a great place where he can play jazz. So he like, I want to review that. So to, you know, mm. so it is, it's a bun fight, but a very amicable one uh, because we, you know, we both love what we do. Does that make any sense? Or I always it feel really like I get, to the, really I feel does. like I get, to, always get to the end of that and I go in essence and then talk for 25 minutes I think that that's, it's actually explained it really well because one of the things that I was scared about was that you were going to say I'm giving a list yes. and the fact that yeah. it's you with your ear to the ground 
finding up and coming places that's brilliant yeah and the fact that so much of it is outside of london obviously yeah. we're you know we're we're bristol we have an amazing food scene but um it's really nice to see other places so yeah. i'm from the midlands um and all the time that alex bond was getting ready to open alchemila i was kind of following that because i lived and worked near mm. nottingham and then you reviewed it and it's kind of it's great to see outside of London getting a good shout. I, th- I think that Alex is uh, really special and, like, is going to be an enormous, you know. He, I, I, there's so much about Alcamila um, that I loved. Um, you know, as I said in the review, there was bits that I didn't like um, when I was eating it, but the amazing and quite unique thing about Alex is that he is... Uh, he has opened this place, and it is. A, I mean, the, I think the, the premises is a labour of love, and it's amazing, and, it's, and, uh, and he's basically just doing these amazing dishes and just and then going no that I'm not doing that anymore that I'm going to do this and that's not on the menu anymore that didn't work for me I didn't like that mm. and that is quite unusual in this day and age you know you get places which are uh, absolutely wonderful like Claire Smith's place um, which I always call code and it's called core uh, uh, Claire Smith's place which is you know winning awards and it's wonderful she has stayed very faithful to say nine dishes you know, uh, and they, uh, I'm probably out, it's maybe 10 or 11 or 6 or 7, but the things that she cooked on the first week, she's honing those dishes until they are the most, whereas Alex is clearly very much like, um, and I mean this in a lovely way, let's throw things at the wall and see what what sticks. And I and I, I, I love that in a chef because, mm. and I think maybe you can do that outside London when you maybe haven't got... Um, There's not the competition. Yeah, 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 I think maybe you can do that. Um, it's it, you know, and, it, and it's it's just been amazing to leave London. It's been uh, it's hard work. It's not glamorous. You're never allowed to complain about being a restaurant critic ever. Like you're never allowed. You can't ever say anything complaining because people just go, mate. You know what I mean? I, I'm a gas fitter, like, I yeah. and I eat, I eat, I eat at a wild bean cafe in a car park every night. Stop moaning. <laughs> Stop moaning about all this. So you can never moan. What I will say though is. It isn't as glamorous as people think, and I, I've never, in the last uh, seven or eight, nine months, I spend a hell of a lot of time on tiny, drafty platforms Aww. with, like, and also by myself, mm. you know? I'm like, and, and I think that maybe this is one of the things that maybe puts off, there's not a lot of women doing this job, mm. and I realise now that I've kind of got into my 40s and I'm doing it, and I think, I think that if I did have, like, two babies sitting at home I don't have any children if I did have babies I think it would make it even more soul crushing sometimes when you know you know I was sitting at um you know you're sitting at kind of Doncaster station to get like a a commuter train to somewhere in the middle of nowhere to like you know try some gastro pub and they go the train has been (laughs) cancelled due to staff whatever and you're just sitting by yourself in some tiny little um you know tiny little waiting room with like your vending machine coffee going where did where did it all go wrong (laughs) um but then but then obviously you get to the end and you have have a a have a lovely dinner yeah um yeah how did you pivot into food because it it, you've 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 written about a lot of things so how did you pivot into food and especially as you said into i guess a role that's not there's not many yeah. women who are restaurant critics. Pivoting into being a restaurant critic was always something um, from when I first arrived in London in 1996 and uh, started to write for women's magazines and newspapers, the Daily Mirror, uh, all the different magazines writing children's books. Always wanted to be a restaurant critic and realised from the off 
that of all the things to pivot into, it was going to be the hardest because people do not give these jobs up. Mm-mm. Nobody, nobody says I I've decided I don't want this. I mean, some people do, but they're the people generally that you don't remember because they did it for a very short amount of time and realised how hard, how hard and grueling, and how much criticism you're going to get. Uh, so they go. I was very determined to because uh, when I was doing all the other things in my life. I always knew that I was the person who, if we all went out on a Friday night and went to dinner and everybody was hacked off around the table, that we'd all spent £100 each on a meal that was horrible. Or an experience that was horrible, more so. I was the one that could nail it. I was the one that could... Because I'm, I'm good at talking and I'm a good storyteller and I, and I can write. That's the only thing I can do. I can't do anything else. Don't ask me to do anything else. I've got no <laughs> other skills, no... Like, um, and uh, I always knew that I was the one that said, well, I'll tell you why it was rubbish. Because we walked in and the person on the desk had a face like a smacked ass. And then we <laughs> walked in and they gave us the table by the toilet. Why would they put a table by the toilet? We were literally obviously there last. And then the food came and it was meant to be this and it wasn't that. And, and I always had those little lines. And, and I used to think, I should, it's this I should be writing. It's this. And I'd been in London. I was in London for... Um, almost 17 or 18 years um, before I became an actual restaurant critic. I, and, and, I came to, uh, and, I, and I got the job completely by chance. How I got it was um, Lily Allen was guest editing the London Evening Standard Friday magazine. And Lily Allen was a, a, a fan of my writing from World of Lather years ago in the guide. And she had a list of writers and she said... Um, I want Grace Dent to write something in my guest issue. So I did a moonlight, a moonlight flip and, and did a, a one piece for the Evening Standard and I wrote about trendy cafes and how they hack me off. Because you get there and um, they've got everything going on. They've got a slam poetry reading and they've got like, <laughs> and they've got like, you know, beautiful reclaimed antique furniture and Long blah, blah, time. and everything. Exactly. They've got, they've got all these things, but they're never open, right? <laughs> we only open two days a week. So I wrote this funny piece. And when I wrote this funny piece, um, they printed it, the Evening Standard printed it, and just on that week, um, Miles Jupp, the comedian, who is a Radio 4 presenter, he'd been covering a restaurant column, jacked it in. He said, I can't do this. Oh, perfect can't timing. do this. He said, I can't do this. I took it thinking it was going to be fun, and basically, I am out now. I'm completely... I have to devote my life to it, and I'm a performer, and I can't do it. So I got an email, and it went, like, bing! Would you like to be our new restaurant critic? And it was one of those where you just want to go, reply, yes. Yeah. I'm not playing this call. We can about that for about a split second. Exactly. <laughs> so um, it was one of I mean, I can remember very specifically getting it and thinking, give it four minutes, Grace. <laughs> and uh, giving it four minutes and then replying. And, you know, one of those jobs where you don't ask the pay, you don't ask the hours, you don't ask the word count. You're just like, yes, yes, please. So I did it and I didn't think anybody would notice and it became very quickly one of the things that I was the best known for I'm interested in and I think it is because I am interested in food I love food it's the highlight of my day food is one of the most exciting things getting up in the morning and planning your meals yes food centers you food makes you feel loved food you know food is love that you give to other people all that yes but I love society I love people I love cliques I love drama. I love walking into a room and the vibe. 
I love, um, and all of that is in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that when people say, what's that restaurant like? What's it like? They don't just mean what's the food like. What they mean is, who's there? Who, if I go to this pasta place, if I go to this pasta place you've just recommended to me in Bristol, who's there? What's it like on Friday? What do I have to put on? Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are the tables like? What are they... Like, can everyone hear my conversation? Like, they're interested in all those bits. And I think that that is also probably that one of the skills that I brought to it, that I, 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 I can set a scene of what a restaurant's like and make... And, you know, I, I always keep it in my mind with, with my restaurant columns in The Guardian. I would say that 99% of people reading that column are never going to go to this restaurant. They're never going to set off to, to, to Abergavenny. They're never going to set off to London. They're never going to set off... So you're really giving somebody something amazing to read on the toilet on a Saturday morning. Well, you're invoking this feeling yes. of almost being there. Be think? there with me. Come along with me. Have a laugh with me. I think that if you are setting off to be a restaurant critic and you are, are just into your food, there's, there's lots of people that do that, that go, that write blogs or write, write columns and they go, this is the food. This is what it's like. This is the CV of the cow. This is the uh, this is the provenance of the carrots. The 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 gravy was of a, of, a, of an unsatisfactory consistency, <laughs> and uh, it can all be a little bit kind of vogue and poetry where you're just kind of going, oh, I can't really. I can't. Well, I think that to be a restaurant critic, if you notice people like Giles, people like Jay, uh, we're writers really mm-hmm. first. We're mm-hmm. writers because. The thing is, people need to realise if you're setting up to... If you want my life, you are literally getting a, getting a WhatsApp at five o'clock in the morning from angry editor going, I know you only got in at one, but I need 800 words because this restaurant has fallen through and we can't do this and we can't do that. So then you're writing and then going out. And, like, there, you know, a lot of my job is uh, a blank word document and having to pull 900 words out of thin air about a pale white room that serves pasta for the 40th time. Mm. <laughs> you know? Did writing yeah. fiction help with that? Yes, because with fiction, you know, I can keep going for 90,000 words. And, I, you know I, I know, I know how to go, blimey, I just need another 400 words. I, need, I, have, to, I have to find another 400 words. So then you kind of know that you can go on uh, yeah, descriptive prose mm. about what people are like in the room, and uh, but you know the thing was definitely fiction helped because um, I was always a crap journalist. I was rubbish. You know, I was. I, I've ultimate respect for any of you that turn up and remember to buy, you know, bring a microphone as you have today, and you actually have questions. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> I um, I was rubbish. I was rubbish at facts. Rubbish, and I still am. Um, thank God at the Guardian, I have a. Um, a team of harassed and upset sub-editors that go, Grace, um, we see the gist of what you're trying to say here. There's definitely some strong themes, but could we tighten it up? Um, So, yeah. So I think be a writer first, and I think that Jay would agree with this. You know, to be a restaurant critic, you are, you know, the long haul of 1,500 words sometimes is, Mm. it's, it's a big one. That is probably almost all we've got time for. Sorry, Carol, so totally talked over you then. But, Ask me one more, um, go on. The last thing that we wanted to talk to you about was MasterChef. 
Hello. So I'm should we squeeze to, that in? Well, we thought we to... thought about this question, and you know, you know how we're watching it from. You know, obviously we've yes. never been behind the camera with you, but yes. when we're watching it on TV, we can see these people. Who are, <laughs> these poor people. They they are shaking. They are. It's you know, brilliant. Goosebumps. Just thinking about it. I love it. <laughs> Coming through the double doors with your gravy splattering everywhere. I know that they do, but sadly I didn't order an omelette made of tears. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was really loud. I I read when you called yourself... Tits and tea. <laughs> That's it, the tits and the tea. Oh, I thought that was that brilliant. It's the literally, is the question, is it hard when they cry? Pretty well, much. Well, it's sort of, it's kind of, you know, when you're judging a dish mm. and not only is the person standing right there in front of you, because mm. I guess it's really different when you're writing a review about a restaurant, yeah. they're not standing there watching you type. Yes. But also they're, they're budding cooks, they're, they're yeah. there because, you know, they, they want yeah. to improve what they do. Does that make it harder? And are they there because they want to improve what they well, do? Yeah, are they, they really? They're, they're no. probably not. But. No, especially the, the you know the, the the ones the amateur ones. That is people that go. You know, I just really want to turn my back on being a a pediatrician because it's just not you know or you know a, a fireman or what you know these are important jobs and they just go oh, because all my friends say. I can cook, so therefore what I want to do is open a restaurant. And you just think, no, because, you know. What I will say about MasterChef is that um, in the recording process, they are very good at keeping the people that cook away from us. And that is for our own good, because they don't want all of the info about the contestants and who's got through and who's got through to whatever round in the ether, you know what I mean? And if we know exactly who these people are, what their names are, where they're from. If we know the whole backstory that you know as the viewer, because you're watching it once it's been edited and beautifully put together mm-hmm. with like little stories about them going to meet their mother and all these kind of things. If we knew that, one, it would it would be very it, it would be more difficult possibly for mm. us, and it might flavour it. You know, if we know this person has had a, a tragic illness and they've come back from it, and then they come in with their, like, you know, crap chicken. Um, it would be more difficult. So they, And also, you know, as I'm saying, they don't... Um, I often turn up for, for work at MasterChef, and I go, who have we got today, then? And they'll kind of go, mmm, and they keep it very... They don't tell us a lot. And that is also because, especially with something like Celebrity MasterChef, by the time I get there, I'm often judging semi-finals... And uh, there's like four celebrities, but in the actual real world outside, the real the, the actual community doesn't even know who's been chosen for Celebrity MasterChef. So the less that we know about what around it is, the less that I can tell people drunk in a pub when there's like a sudden journalist there. When I'm or going on Twitter, I'm like, actually, Sid Owen's gazpacho soup was disgusting, and they're like, what? And I'm like, oh no, no. Um, uh, and I think that you can see that with uh, you know, it's like when Prue hmm. went online, um, and you know, after Bake Off, it, it's so easy to do. So they do keep a lot of the facts, the facts from us. What I will also say, though, is that when they come in, I, you know, I, I, I try to be as nice as possible. When they walk through the, when they come through the door shaking, I always smile. But then I know that that's actually quite frightening. Like this morning, <laughs> like, I always smile and I always try to meet their eye. 
Um, and they are in a massive state, some of them. Like they are, um, but I, and I, I name checked Sid Owen. Sid Owen is, was the worst state I have ever seen. He came in like, and he had this gazpacho soup. And I hate gazpacho soup because, as I've said before, there's no place in civilized society for cold soup. I'd say, come on, you know. And it's like, it's it's like, and I hate gazpacho. And he'd made that. I mean, gazpacho is meant to be like a kind of a clear, refreshing kind of like, you know, a hint and a dance of tomato. And what he'd done was basically made like a kind of a roughly chopped ratatouille, (laughs) thrown in a dish. And he kind of came in, and he was one of those where, like, the plates are like that as he comes towards me. he tried to calm them down a bit. What I will also say about MasterChef is that they let us drink. <laughs> um, it's one of the only jobs where they'll go, would you like a little half glass of, you know, little half glass of, I'll say shabbly, it's never anything as good as that. Um, uh, so the first ones, you always, you're always quite like... <sighs> Oh, they've tried really hard. And then if you've had three crap meals in a row, by the third one, you're just like... I often go home and go, I really hope they edit some of the worst things I've said. And of course they don't. And what they do is they take the worst things I've said at the end of the day and then they put it in the trailer. So it's things like, who is it that... that, Who is it somebody that made something the other day? And I said, I wouldn't give this to my Labrador. And when it, it ended up in the trailer and then that's when people uh, people hate you somebody was really angry uh, one, I'm not going to say who it was but one of the amateur MasterChef people uh, last year were furious absolutely like, uh, fuming fuming spell F-E-W-M-I-N fuming they were about, um, they were just they were like she's evil do you think that that's a bit like um, kind of pop idol type wow pop idol you know, yeah. kind of, um, it's not called that, it's not been called that for I years. I guess they have, yeah. where they have to edit it to make it But they've been surrounded by their yeah. friends and family and mum and dad telling them that they're brilliant. Completely. And, you know, because this is amateurs, like you said, who mm. want to kind of quit their day job and become a, a chef knowing nothing about the graft that goes into that. And but then you tell the them professionals. that they're I'm sorry, like sorry, cauliflower sorry. puree is grainy. And, exactly that. But, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, I'm completely talking over you. But, no, like, no, the, the professional... The professionals are like that, you know, yeah. like you've got to understand that some of those people that come up pro- professionals have been, you know, the masters of their their fiefdom for so long. They've mm. cooked somewhere and they've cooked and they've had their brigade and they've cooked in a village uh, gastro pub and nobody has told them that their food mm. isn't wonderful. So that's got, it's going to be harsh for them too when, you know, suddenly you know some, they, they've brought something in and you're, you're you know and also they do have a nightmare you know because they're used to cooking in their own kitchens with people helping them and prepping and uh you know maybe and uh, you know some people that come even if they're professional they they're very 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 good at cooking uh venison but they they don't ever do pastry mm. they've never you know that's mm. why you get can you continuously get like creme brulee and uh panna cotta and anything I'm sick of those desserts. panna cotta everything <laughs> literally is like it's always a panna cotta um, so uh, yeah but then this is like the, the, when I went to be a MasterChef uh, critic I used I, I always tried to remember how much I used to laugh and scorn and shout at the television when the old guard were there when I was younger going 
this is the most disgusting panna cotta. <laughs> I remember when I used to, and you used to go, there's millions starving, eat the panna cotta. Yeah. So, uh, Let them eat panna cotta. <laughs> I'm going to try not to say anything more about MasterChef. Have I spoiled MasterChef for no, you? No, not at all. I mean, I, I'm thinking at the same time about the Australian MasterChef because we, we obviously had our own version and it was slightly I think yours different. is great, you know. You I know, think Australian MasterChef is, I'm not going to say it's better, but it's... It's good, you know. I always, I always think it's the other way around, and that's mostly because I'm fairly confident that it's rigged every year. And so for me, I look at it and go, that guy should have been sent home three weeks ago. She did not cook very well for last month. Why is she still here? And mm-hmm. So I just get a bit frustrated. And, and like you, I get my dad was a chef when I was growing up, and so I see all these people, and I would have been a chef if dad had a said, I'm going to disown you if you become a chef. Or <laughs> well, he said that, but the hours are horrible. The work you put in is just intense. Why would you give up your highly paid job as a lawyer to go and work your butt off um, for very little money yeah. um, and yeah. never see your family? These are all things that I um, say loudly by the fourth course. Well, by the f- <laughs> or, or, or during filming. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. But they will always be... Uh, there's never any shortage of people that want to be on the show, and I, I'm so proud to be involved with MasterChef. It's, uh, it, when, when I get the bookings and when I get my days, it is literally... I, I'm so happy because it's something that everybody understands. And mm. when you're on MasterChef, other than everything else you do in your life, when you're in MasterChef, it goes outside on a Thursday... And Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you can be anywhere in Britain and people just go, can I just stop you? How do you eat all of the food in one go? And everyone's <laughs> got a question and I love it. And I, and I love how passionate people get and they go, you were so, I don't want to be mean to you because, sorry, but you were so mean to so-and-so. And they get read, and I love that because, uh, you know, as I was saying, uh, you know, about, Abergavenny Food Festival where we are these are magical things in a world that is a bit scary they're magical, happy, joyous things and and I'm very proud to be involved that has got to be a perfect way to end this (laughs) podcast I think guys you're wonderful and can I wish you so much luck and um, happiness with this podcast I think it's really important what you're doing and you're brilliant and ask me back when I'm an old lady we Which is about three years' time. That's, that's on record, so <laughs> yeah. we will be taking up on Ask that. Ask me back yeah. when, by that point, you're like booking Nigella and all the big people, that, and, I, and, you no, and you no longer need me. But ask me back. Thank you. And enjoy the festival. We were here last year, and we loved it. Okay, so. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to have. I'm going to go out and, and talk and spread joy and then eat some chips and curry sauce on the way home because I've seen where the chip shop is. Fab. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Grace. We really appreciate your time. No problem at all. Thank you for listening to At The Source. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we would love to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, At The Source, uh, or go to our website, atthesource.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we'd love if you could leave feedback and a rating so that more people can find us. Until next time. Over and out.